Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Welcome to Planning for Win Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we'll be discussing adoptions, and the title of today's show is appropriately called Adoption. It's not just for puppies. Ernie Martin is joining us today. Thank you, Ernie, for being here. Thank you, and I'm not a puppy. All right. Um, Ernie, could you let the listeners know a little bit about your practice and how they might be able to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, We have a law firm named Courier & Martin. That's C-U-R-R-I-E-R and Martin. Our website is www.couriermartin.com. You can also reach me by telephone at 281-890-7090, and I'm extension 103. And lastly, my email address is emartin at couriermartin.com. We're a general civil practice. We handle a number of civil things. I primarily focus on family law, Mm -hmm. but we handle other such things as wills and probates, personal injuries slash auto accidents, um, do a lot of commercial litigation and business formation. My partner focuses on those areas. Okay. Thank you. Well, where would you like to start with adoptions today? Well, I'd like to talk about adoptions and let's just start with the various types of adoptions. Um, What I really want to focus on and what my greatest experience is with are called private adoptions. Mm -hmm. But there are other adoptions where, say, a state agency is placing a child. You might have an unfortunate event where a child's been removed from a harmful environment and the, uh, the parent's parental rights have been terminated. And, you know, the state then tries to place the child for foster care or preferably adoptions at some point. Uh, I've handled one of those in the past. We didn't get involved in the termination aspects of it with CPS, but we got involved in the adoption aspects, which are very similar to the private adoption once you get through the uh, termination phase. Uh, There are also adoptions by licensed agencies that, you know, they're kind of a hybrid between a state placement and a private adoption. Uh, Say they're finding children from overseas, that type of thing, and, you know, placing the children for adoptions. In a lot of those cases, the, it's kind of a mix of law between the host country the U.S. and the the country that the child is coming from. A private adoption is one where, you know, parties, maybe the parties know the, the, the parents who are terminating their rights. Maybe they don't know them. Maybe the child has come to them through friends or other family members. But they're basically doing an adoption through the court system that is essentially agreed to. Um, At least one of the parents has agreed to it. The most prevalent kind, I believe, is called a step-parent adoption. I mean, that's what it's called. Is it the most prevalent kind? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, That's a situation where you have one of the biological parents who's still the child's parent is going to remain that child's parent. The other parent, for whatever reason, has gone, left, had their parental rights terminated, who knows, uh, and the, the, 
the remaining biological parent has remarried and the new parent, the step parent, is then pursuing an adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, these are, like I said, these are in my practice anyway, the most common kind of adoptions I've ever gotten involved in. Um, it's important for everybody to understand. This is kind of one of these myths in family law that I like to dispel. We hear this a lot. People say, well, I'll just surrender my parental rights. I'll just terminate my parental rights. I don't want to have anything to do with the child or you or any of these other things. Well, that's, that is the myth. You can't just up and surrender your parental rights. At least I have never met a judge who would just say, sure, we're going to just let you turn your back on your child and not financially support the child, that type of thing. Um, so the courts will, however, accept voluntary termination of parental rights if there is a proposed adoption that's going to take place. And that's what we generally do in a step-parent adoption. As we reach out to the missing biological parent or the biological parent that wishes to have their parental rights terminated, we ask them to formally surrender those rights in an affidavit of voluntary relinquishment of parental rights. Uh, it's a very weighty document. It says a lot of very important things that we'll talk about. Uh, and then the court will, generally speaking, if they find all the other elements are in place, grant that termination so that the step-parent adoption can proceed. Okay. I got all kinds of questions running through my Fire head. Away. Fire away. Fire um, away. So when we're talking about adoptions, we're not limiting that to certain ages, are we? No, we're not. Uh, matter of fact, you can adopt a child at any age, and I have actually done two or three adult adoptions mm-hmm. where adults have said, I want this particular person to adopt me. And people go, well, that's kind of weird. Nah, it just depends on the relationship. I'll give you a little bit of a baseline for that. We had a, um, a guy, and he was the stepfather, the biological father who the child did not really particularly like, mm-hmm. uh, he was very combative, but he was not going to surrender his parental rights any way, shape, or form. So you had this very uh, strained relationship between the, the child and the biological father. Matter of fact, it was long distance. I believe the biological father lived in Nevada. Um, at any rate, she told her stepdad that for her 18th birthday, she wanted him to adopt her. Mm-hmm. And once she was 18, she could be adopted as an adult. Very less formal, a lot less requirements. Um, so again, anywhere from one day old mm-hmm. up to, you know, person's about ready to die. Right. Um, they can be adopted if that's what they choose to do. Now, I will say that with that question in mind. Mm-hmm. Children who are 12 years of age and older must grant their permission to be adopted. Okay. Well, that's important. Yes. What, what a birthday present for your 18th birthday. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. 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 That's, that's, birthday and graduation. Yeah. She got the, that, that's great. Yeah. Um, now, in that situation, are we limited to people that maybe there's an existing relationship already, or, or can it, or the adoption be from people that we aren't associated with? So you gave the example of it was, um, a stepfather or stepmother, if you will, um, are those same type of adoptions? Are th- could they be someone that we're not currently familiar with that we are then made aware of that a child at whatever age is 
available to be adopted? We don't have to have an existing relationship, right? Um, you don't have to have an existing relationship. In other words, there doesn't have to be a biological parent involved in mm -hmm. the adoption. Uh, however, one of the one of the initial requirements before filing the petition for adoption is that the child or children have resided with the petitioner or petitioners, mm -hmm. if, the, if they're neither one of the biological parent, for at least six months. Okay. So there is that element where the courts at least want to know that the prospective adoptive parents have been around this child, have mm -hmm. been caring for the child, and essentially you know, have some inkling of what they're getting into. One thing that it's important to point out about adoption, particularly in step-parent adoptions, um, look, when you adopt a child, as far as the law is concerned, that child came from your issue. Mm -hmm. There's no difference legally between an adopted child and a biological child. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that parents who decide that they want to adopt have an idea of what they're, what they're getting themselves into. I've, I've heard horror stories in the last few years about, and some of this has made national news, about children who are being placed from foreign countries, um, the, the parents who are adopting. Right. I mean, they think it sounds like a good idea, mm -hmm. but they really don't know the child. Um, they adopt these kids, and all of a sudden they want a refund. Um, right. And, you know, Russia's going, well, we're not going to take the kids back. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's what's made some national headlines. As a matter of fact, I think it's made a little bit of a controversy with them is the adoption processes and parents feeling they got a child that has behavioral issues. Um, again, it's good to know these things up front. Right, right. So the more time that the children live or the child lives with the prospective adoptive parent or parents, the better, the better. Well, it's not a part-time job. It is yeah, not a part-time no, job. Yeah. It's not a job at all. <laughs> no, it is your life. It's a responsibility. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. You're signing on for a very big thing. I mean, I'm again from everything that I've seen from clients and so forth. They're pleased as punch that they did it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been no regrets. But like any other kind of parenting, there's ups and downs, and right. it's tough. It's tough being a parent. It's tough being a kid. Yes, so, it is. All right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, the, the necessary requirements to get an adoption going. Now, as I've already mentioned, we have to have, we have to be able to demonstrate that the children or the child has lived with the prospective adoptive parents for at least six months prior to filing that petition for adoption. The other thing that has to be established is that the biological parent or parents whose rights are being terminated, we must first terminate rights before we can grant the adoption, um, that they have either voluntarily surrendered those rights through that, that affidavit, mm -hmm. or that the court has good cause to terminate their parental rights. Now, this is something that's very important to understand. Terminating parental rights is akin to the death penalty in family law. That's how serious it is. So there has to be very serious conduct on the part of the biological parent to terminate their parental rights. Um, I'm currently working on a case. Uh, it's going on a very long time. Uh, <laughs> so at any rate, it made me chuckle just because it uh, makes me think about how long it's gone on. But at any rate, we have one biological parent. There's two children and there's two different biological fathers. 
Um, the adoptive parents are not related to the children by blood or marriage, but they knew the biological mo mother through family, friends, and through other, other contacts. Um, one of the biological parents actually darn near killed the infant child. She wasn't even a year old. Um, my understanding in reading some of the, the documentation is that the, uh, the biological father threw the child across the room, fractured the child's skull, almost killed the child, uh, was convicted of felony injury to a child, spent five years in prison for it. Okay. I hope, I think, that we have sufficient grounds to terminate this guy's parental rights. Um, we'll see. I haven't put that forth to the court yet, but I have a very good feeling. All the people involved all tend to agree that that should be, should be a slam dunk, uh, to almost kill your child, to be convicted of a felony for it, plus other felonies the guy's been convicted of. I think the court will readily terminate his parental they right. They sound like a candidate for it, right? Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That's a poster candidate right. for that. Now, some other things that are a little bit less apparent. Um, theoretically, I say theoretically, the, the law provides that if the child's been abandoned, which is six months without any contact and without any support, that the court can step in and terminate a child's or a parent's rights on that basis. I think that there's more facts that have to be uncovered in that. Um, but if that parent were cited to appear, was served with process in the adoption proceeding to terminate their rights, and they did not respond, they did not file an answer, they did not participate in the court case, they didn't defend themselves, then the court can use that as grounds to terminate the parental rights under what we call a default termination, okay? Um, there doesn't have to be extreme behavior, but if a parent does all of a sudden wake up and decide, huh, I've been a pretty crappy parent, I've not seen my child, I don't know my child, I've not supported my child, but I want to do that now chances are the court is going to give them that one last opportunity. There might be a steady, heavy price to pay in back child support and a number of other things, but the court's going to give them that opportunity to fail, in my opinion. I've, I've had that happen before. We started out with doing a step-parent adoption. Um, you know, we always have to make a due diligent effort to find the quote-unquote missing parent in this particular case, we did find him. We did get him served. Mm -hmm. um, as it turned out, he had been supporting his child. He'd been sending money to the attorney general's office for years. Mm -hmm. uh, the mom had moved. The attorney general did not know where to send the money, so they just were sitting on it. Right. Well, once all this was discovered, this guy came out of the woodwork, and all of a sudden he wanted to be super dad. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't know if he ever really was super dad, but... He came back into the fold. We, we, the writing was on the wall that the court was not going to terminate the parental rights and, and grant this adoption, so we had to turn it into a different type of case. But again, that gives you two, two extremes of what it's like when we try to terminate parental rights. Now, most of the time, again, when I do these things, we're trying to get people, the biological parent, usually just one parent on a step-parent adoption, to surrender their parental rights. And when they do that, the court generally speaking, readily accepts that. 
Well, I've been sitting here listening, and I've come to the conclusion that this topic, like so many others, are people interested in adoptions need to seek out a professional's help because, geez, I thought divorces were complicated. It sounds like you have all those complications possibly and then some more because we're dealing with the child or children. Um, And I probably have the understanding, like most people do on the street, of adoptions, which is probably not a lot and probably a lot of misconceptions. So um, there's a process to do it correctly and efficiently, but it's not with yourself doing it. I have seen people muddle their way through divorce cases without legal representation, sometimes successfully, sometimes even successfully when they have children involved. Um, Okay, I'll give them kudos on that and pat them on the back. Good job, should go to law school. Adoptions? I don't know any way that you're going to be able to do an adoption without at least some legal help. This conversation we're having should not be taken as, okay, I'm smart enough to go and do this adoption on my own. Right. All right. Well, I I just, you know, I'm just not seeing a way through it on your own. I just, and I mean, and if if you're the type of person who, um, you you know, we have in society that's going to adopt, I mean, you have a kind heart and it's in the right place and you're taking on that responsibility, um, you need to take a few extra steps and do it correctly um, so that it's done efficiently and, you know, the children aren't hanging out there in limbo. That's what I would imagine happening, that it just doesn't materialize, and that creates other issues. And, um, you know, there's a process that has to be gone through, but if you don't know what you're doing, I just I, I don't see how you would get through that. Yeah. Um, I can almost guarantee you that you wouldn't, right? Particularly, particularly in some of the courts I practice in. Um, just from a procedural standpoint, mm-hmm. again, it depends on what kind of case we're dealing with. But let's again talk about a step parent adoption. That's again the most common. But the requirements that we have to have. So the first requirement again is that the child has resided with the step parent or the a prospective adoptive parents for at least six months. Now they're at liberty to file their suit. That mm-hmm. in and of itself, what kind of suit do you file? We can do a termination suit. Get the parental rights terminated first. Then we can turn around and as soon as the parental rights are terminated, file an adoption suit. Now that's always struck me as somewhat inefficient. There's certain reasoning, I believe, to do that on certain limited cases where you might have a very difficult termination situation. But if you have a termination situation that's you know fairly straightforward, such mm-hmm. as the voluntary relinquishment of parental rights, we do combined suits. So it, the petition is actually titled Petition for Termination and Adoption of a Child. Okay. If it's a stepchild, we would say mm-hmm. stepchild in there. Um, now, that suit may or may not have to be served. Mm-hmm. If we're dealing with a known parent out there who was signed that affidavit of relinquishment, then we don't have to have them served. That affidavit contains in it what we call waiver of citation or waiver of service. But if we're dealing with a parent who's just missing, okay, now this puts us off into some weeds. We have to try to find that parent. Trust me, I have been through this. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as an unknown parent mm-hmm. in this state anyway, okay, or at least in front of any of the judges I've been in front of. 
Um, look, they know that every child is going to have two biological parents, period. The biological parents must be found. They must be named. They must be found. They must be served. Now, there's various ways of doing this, and depending on which way we go, the case can get that much more complex and that much more expensive. But if we have an quote-unquote unknown parent that we discover their name, but we can't find their whereabouts, that's going to involve using a private investigator or some type of search for people. Uh, then how do we get them served if we don't know where they are? Well, we request the court to serve them by publication. Mm -hmm. And if we request the court to serve by publication and the court grants that, then we actually take out an ad in a paper that nobody reads. That costs money. Then the court will appoint, not can or should, but must appoint what's called an attorney ad litem. Mm -hmm. And this attorney ad litem is appointed to represent the interests of this biological parent insofar as our efforts to find and serve this parent. So they're going to do another search for this parent, and that can cost quite a bit of money and take quite a bit of time. And by the way, guess who gets to pay for all these extra fees? Right, right. The, the petitioners, the, mm -hmm. the people who are trying to do this adoption. So there are people out there that want to do step-parent adoptions, but they don't want to face, I don't know the proper word here, the dilemma, the uncomfortableness, sometimes the, the, the risk of approaching that biological parent. So they'll just say, well, I have a name, but I don't know where they are, or I don't have a name at all. Mm -hmm. um, and that just, again, the courts just aren't going to allow that to occur. They're going to make sure that we have identified somebody. So there's a way to find an uncooperative uh, biological parent if, if they're purposely not wanting to be found or they've just kind of disappeared. There's a way to go through that process, and if we're not identifying them or serving them, um, we're acknowledging in the paper that th this is your notice and then we can proceed yeah so, but the yeah. service by publication right. is exactly okay. right that's okay. exactly right now we get the party served mm -hmm. again if they do not file an answer then we can terminate their parental rights on a host of grounds but typically speaking it's it's the abandonment issue no contact no support for a six-month period or more um, but again if there's a history of you know, criminal conduct, child abuse, drug abuse, um, you know, any of these things, the court can use these as, there, there's just a whole host of grounds they can mm -hmm. use to terminate this person's right with clear and convincing evidence. Okay, so back to my example of the guy that almost killed his child, we have the certified copies of the criminal case file. Okay, that's clear and convincing evidence for the court. But if we just have one parent who comes into a courtroom and starts testifying about what a creep the other parent was and all the bad things they did, the judge might raise an eyebrow on that and, you know, do you have anything corroborating? Do you have any criminal convictions? Do you have any independent witnesses that can confirm these things? So, again, the court is going to make sure that there are adequate grounds to terminate the parental rights. Now, let's just assume, again, that, we feel comfortable we have that evidence or we have that relinquishment of, of parental rights, then we have to proceed to the next step. Mm -hmm. The next step is to get 
a amicus attorney appointed. Now, an amicus attorney, as opposed to the attorney ad litem, the amicus attorney is, in a way, the child's attorney. They're more importantly, they're the eyes and the ears of the court. So they're going to go out and they're going to investigate things and they're going to be independent. See, I'm, if I'm representing the petitioners, I'm not necessarily trustworthy. Mm -hmm. I'm not objective. Okay. I have clients who have paid me money. So I am definitely going to be working on their side and taking things in a manner that's favorable to them. That's my job. The amicus attorney though, no, they're going to be more objective. They're going to look at things from a standpoint, maybe we should do this, maybe not. Let's look at all the facts. So the amicus attorney is out there to protect a child's best interest, to make sure all the procedures are being filed, to make sure we've done what we're supposed to do, to make sure that this is a good match mm -hmm. between the prospective adoptive parents and this child, okay? So there's checks and balances oh in the my. process. Yes. And, and, and then some. Yeah. Good. The, I mean, again, we had this amicus attorney. Now, an amicus, amicus attorney is going to bill like an attorney. Mm -hmm. nah, the, most courts will have a cap on what they can charge. Um, I think it's generally around $1,500 mm -hmm. is what the Harris County Courts would allow. But... So, let me just interrupt. Sure. So it's more involved than adopting a puppy. Is that what we're saying? We're, we're yeah, definitely yeah, okay. I think so. You, so. you don't you don't just get to show up and pick one out and have it lick your face and take him home. Huh? My my okay. puppy was uh, <laughs> it was given to me, so I I didn't go through that process. I think you had to get shots or something like that for the dog. So. Yeah, you you fill out a couple questionnaires and um, uh, get a few shots and maybe a donation, and you're on your way. Yeah, for good reason. We're just elevating the human condition above the dog's condition just slightly. I don't know why, but we do that. Um, all right, so we have that amicus attorney, but we also have this thing. It used to be called a social study. Now it's mm -hmm. called a pre-adoptive home screening. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's that? It's kind of the same thing as the amicus attorney, only it's conducted by usually a, a, a government agency or a pseudo-government agency if available. So in Harris County, the Harris County Domestic Relations Office would conduct this. You pay them a fee. It's much cheaper than the amicus fee. But they're going in and they're researching the parents. They're researching the child. They're going to the home. They're looking around and they're filling out a report. Mm -hmm. Okay. So two layers of independent eyes out there looking at both termination mm -hmm. aspects and the adoption aspects. Okay. Now I will say this. Typically speaking, my experience is these folks they want the adoptions to go through. That doesn't mean that they're going to cut corners or, you know, sacrifice anything. But at the same time, when they see good parents who want to adopt this child, mm -hmm. the amicus, the social study folks, the court, mm -hmm. they're on the side of these adoptive parents. They, they want this child to have two parents, two loving parents, mm -hmm. okay? So that's good news for people, that to know that, you got to go through these hoops, but the court's kind of pulling you through those hoops, you know? Um, well, I, I would imagine those people have quite a bit of experience, and they can real soon determine if there's some red flags or not, which I would imagine in most cases there's not. And as you said, they're, they're rooting for the team as long as it's the right team. That's exactly yeah. right. Okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, we have this social study that's in place. I think we're running out of time. Well, we're going to take a break here in a moment, okay. and um, well, we'll go ahead and take one now. Uh, when we come back, um, 
after the break, uh, we'll continue with Ernie Martin and adoptions. Thank you. We'll be right back. Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Well, welcome back. Um, this is Planning for Win, Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley, and we're going to continue with Ernie Martin and discussing adoptions. And, and I wanted to say quickly that um, we've been discussing policies and procedures up to this point, kind of the mechanics of it. And I, I just wanted to mention um, there's a lot of good reasons for adoptions, but one that maybe we don't think about until later and sometimes I see it with clients that when they get older and they're looking back at their life, they're looking to leave a legacy. And a legacy is to a person or to a financial institution. And, and yes, it could mean dollars and it could mean other things. And finding those people or institutions to leave a legacy to is sometimes more involved because when we really start to look at them, maybe they're not where we want to leave a legacy or provide a legacy. And what tends to come up is the couple looks back at their life and maybe there was a time that they considered adoption and they didn't follow through with it or there was an opportunity that adoption was possible, whether they had children or not. And they get a little sad because they think about it and say, you know, we could have done this and I don't know if I can think of a better legacy that when it is available for an adoption. And um, that's a legacy in itself. So there's plenty of reasons to adopt, but I, I, I think when you're wanting to make a difference in someone's life, in someone's life, uh, that's all the more reason. So um, think about it now instead of later. I guess is the the rule that we should consider. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, time is short, and the children do grow. That's right. the other thing. So right. as they get older, they're all of a sudden they're not the same same kids. Now. It, we were discussing a little bit about it, just the, the, the sheer joy that these folks, the, the adoptive parents or the step-parent who's adopting a child, that they experience when they mm-hmm. get to adopt a child. And that's one area in family law that I thoroughly enjoy practicing because it's the one area in family law that actually has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, most family law attorneys that I know that practice adoptions, that's the one thing that they would love to be able to do all the time mm-hmm. uh, because there's, you know, you're doing something good for society, it feels like. Yes. Every yeah. kid deserves mm-hmm. to have two parents, mm-hmm. and especially a kid who, um, you know, has lost one parent for one reason or another, to have another parent step in and, and pick up that role and to love that child and support that child, and that child knows I have two parents to, to lean on mm-hmm. for my entire life, not just my minor years, but but as an adult too. 
Uh, I can think of nothing better in, in this area of the law. The judges, they thoroughly enjoy doing adoptions. Um, again, you might go down to a family law court, depending on the court and the judge, but you might see a bunch of stuffed animals in a court. Mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of scratch your head, why are there stuffed animals in here? You know, do they give them out to disputing parties to get them mm -hmm. to calm down or something like that? No, those stuffed animals are for kids when they come down and they're adopted kids must attend adoption hearings mm -hmm. um and there you go they go up in front of that judge they get a good inkling of what's going on and when that judge hands them that teddy bear it's just it can bring tears to people's eyes it really I, I, I imagine and i'm i'm sure it's a case the judge wants to see because i think probably in most cases it's not a pleasant experience but but that's that's something wonderful yeah yeah yeah, that's the one good day in family court is when adoptions are done. So yeah. uh, we were talking a little bit about the procedures and mechanics. I wanted to kind of carry on on that because there are certain other elements that need to be discussed that people understand what they're, what they're getting themselves into in this kind of process. We've talked about the amicus attorney being appointed. We've talked about the social mm -hmm. study being done. Um, you know, again, the social study is an avenue that's another layer to make sure that this is a proper fit for the child they you know they're 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 interviewing the parents they're investigating the parents to a certain extent looking at the home environment uh looking at potentially other siblings that the child mm -hmm. might have and they're wrapping all that up into a report um generally speaking those reports are you know very favorable to an adoption i don't think i've ever seen a social study report they said no this mm -hmm. is a bad idea this adoption should not go forward I don't think I don't I don't know what I would do if I ever saw a report like that. I guess I'd have to have a serious talk with my clients. Any rate, um, another element that is required of the potential adoptive parents is a criminal background check. Now, if, if neither parent is a biological parent, then both parents will undergo that criminal background check. It's done at both the Department of Public Safety level, the state level, and the federal level with the FBI. Uh, the criminal background check, you know, comes back, it gets filed with the court. I have never had a case where I've had any serious infractions involved. Of course, I visit with my clients ahead of time and let them know, you know, what, what would a criminal background check show? And if they said something like, well, I just got out of prison for armed robbery, we might want to wait a few years before we try right, to do an right. adoption. Uh, but, you know, let's face it, some people have little brushes with the law in their history uh, long ago history that again the court's going to balance that but generally speaking you know minor case minor infractions they're just going to look right past that for the greater good of the adoption earlier you had called these private adoptions now are they private in the matter of that this process we go through that that's not public information that people can look at our application if you will and review the documents that are used for adoption how does that work on adoptions again that's that's a good question it's it's still a public forum mm -hmm. anytime you're in a public court it's a public forum however courts have the right to say we feel that this is sensitive information and we're not going to allow just anybody into the courtroom we're not going to allow just anybody into these records that get filed so more often than not with adoptions be it private adoptions mm -hmm. or the other kinds of adoptions uh the records will be non-accessible to just any person uh, i have an adoption case going right now where 
for me to go online and look at my own file. Right. Things that I have filed. I have to have a secret password given to me by the district clerk. I have mm -hmm. to put that into the uh, login screen every time I log into this particular case. Then I have access. But see, I've shown that I have a connection to the case. I'm the petitioner's attorney. Mm -hmm. I have business to look at these. Somebody else? No, you wouldn't be able to see it. Now, almost universally, mm -hmm. when we submit a final order to the court, we are requesting that the records are sealed. Okay? There's a host of reasons to do that, stemming from anything that, you know, hey, listen, you know, maybe we want to keep the child from knowing that he was adopted or she was mm -hmm. adopted. Or we want to keep other people from just prying eyes, looking around, that type of thing. So once that judge signs that order that says the records are sealed, I mean, I get one copy of the order, mm -hmm. right, to give to my clients. After that, I can't even get it. And it's like, I wrote the order. I have a copy of the order on my computer. But the one that's signed by the judge, again, I get one of them. I get one of them. If I need another one, I've got to file a motion, set it for a hearing, express to the judge why I need another copy of the order mm -hmm. or, you know, anything out of that case. And well, it's good to know. Yeah yeah, 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 it is, it is. Um, now, a couple more procedures. This one's very important, and that's the medical history of the child. Again, if we're doing a step-parent adoption, then we know half of the medical history, okay? But we don't know or necessarily know the other half. And this, it's very important that the prospective adoptive parents do everything that they can to try to determine the medical history of the mm -hmm. child they're going to adopt that can have a huge bearing on what a child might be susceptible to as far as illnesses, mm -hmm. conditions, that type of thing. Any doctor, you know, one of the first things they ask you when you fill out the forms, what's your medical history? Right. right. What's your family medical history? That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. And if you don't know it, that doctor's like, I'm, you know, you, I'm treating you with two hands tied behind mm -hmm. my back. If I only knew what life was like for your grandparents mm -hmm. or your parents or whomever. Um, so again, that's something that is very important that the parents try to assemble to the best of their knowledge. Um, the social study, the amicus, they'll all have that same question. Have you explored the child's medical history? Do you know anything about the child's medical history? Is there any way to find out about the child's medical history? So in other words, maybe the biological parent has disappeared but there are siblings of that parent or aunts or uncles of that parent that could be interviewed and talked to and get some idea, you know, all right, yeah, diabetes runs in our family. Um, you know, it's very important to know, very important to know. So that's something that, that we do is we submit a medical history report to the court with as much information as we can, okay, with as much information as we can. Um, now, as far as procedural requirements, without getting into a whole lot of other detail about mm -hmm some of the minutiae that goes on if we have to serve by publication and doing a statement of evidence and blah, blah, blah. Uh, we don't need to get into that. That is basically it, okay? Now, we still have to have a hearing. Mm -hmm. We still have to have a hearing. And again, if it's a combination hearing where it's termination and adoption, then we kind of do the hearing in two parts. And a lot of times the courts, uh, again, they're public courts, but, eh, you know, just they keep an eye on the door, okay? Right. okay? Who needs to be in here? Who doesn't need to be in here? That type of thing. Uh, sometimes the courts will set specific dates and times to do an adoption case as opposed to us just showing up, 
okay, which we often do on uncontested cases. We just show up and, hey, judge, we're here to do an adoption today. And the judge is like, you know, a little warning would have been nice on this one. Well, just for the people, I wanted to mention real quick, that haven't ever been to court. So if I had walked into an adoption and I wasn't supposed to be there and someone told me to leave, what are my options? <laughs> well, first of all, you're going to be discussing with a surly bailiff who has a gun. So let that let that set the uh, the pace right there. I don't know. Uh, well, well, what I was getting at that um, you, you don't just get to show up and eavesdrop is what I'm saying. Like someone is going to tell you to leave unless you have a very good reason to be there. So, you know, a lot of times people have misconceptions because, you know, on a different issue, I heard someone said, well, I'll just go to court. They can't make me leave. And it's like, well, you've never been to court when someone asked you to leave. So, uh, and I mean, it's funny, but, you know, some people um, are nervous during this process. So they've gone through the adoptions and, and maybe there's this still outlining relative that we maybe don't want to show up or hopes that doesn't show up and they're not going to stop the process, but you're nervous of like, guy, everything's, I want it to be so great. You know, I want smiles instead of issues and, you know, the teddy bears and back of someone's mind. It's like, well, what if someone shows up? And it's like, well, I would think if they're not supposed to be there, they'll be asked at first, you know, you need to leave. They, they yeah. would be asked, what's your connection to this case? Right. And if your response was simply, well, I was just wandering the hallway, so I'd come in and observe. Mm -hmm. Again, that would be up to the judge as to whether or not the judge would allow you to remain. They mm -hmm. have to balance things. They mm -hmm. have to balance this with this is a public courtroom versus there's certain privacy rights here, mm -hmm. particularly when we're talking about minor children. Mm -hmm. uh, for sure, I can guarantee you this, there would be no recording or photographer. Mm -hmm. Okay, not unless the judge is, you know, we do that photography thing after the adoption process is over. That's usually reserved for the family, mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody from the Houston Chronicle just showing up and shooting pictures. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, but again, it's a balancing act. It's mm -hmm. a public court, but there's privacy considerations. And again, if there is a connection, so you know, let's say we have for whatever reason um, we looked and looked and looked to find this missing biological parent. Didn't find them. Thought we we're just going to proceed under a simple default. There they are. Mm -hmm. And the bailiff says, "What's your connection to this case? I'm the biological father. I'm here to contest. Right. Well, for sure, for sure, they're going to let them in. They're going to probably reset the case, uh, but they they very much have a connection to it and are involved in it. At okay. Point, so, um, we we talked about sealing the records and. That's an important function from the standpoint that a lot of people, they don't want to have their case reviewed by outside eyes. Mm -hmm. And again, sealing the records is a very common thing to do, and it's, I, I think it's good and mm -hmm. safe for the family and the child. So that's available as well. Well, that's good to know. Peace of mind, I that's guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You never know where that adopted child will be or or the circumstances that they'll be in 20, 30, 40 years from now. That's exactly yeah. correct. Okay. Um, another thing that, that I guess I should touch on as well, there really isn't a limit as to who can adopt, mm -hmm. meaning, well, okay, you know, only you have to have, you know, natural human beings doing adoption, and there can't be more than two parents, okay? Uh, but you can have single parent adoptions. Okay. I have done those. Mm -hmm. 
I have done adoptions where family members have adopted family members. Now, I know that sounds pretty weird, okay, and it bears some explanation. But I had a case once where there was a, uh, you know, not a young adult, but, mm-hmm. you know, definitely an adult whose little brother, I think his little brother was about 12 at the time. The biological parents both died, tragically, okay? So the older brother did not want his little brother to grow up without a parent. Mm-hmm. So he adopted his little brother. Great, yeah. Um, the judge raised an eyebrow on that mm-hmm. one. Uh, just kind of going, you know, there's absolutely nothing in the code that would prevent that. Mm-hmm. And he granted the adoption. Um, and again, when you know the background of it, it all of a sudden starts to make a little bit more sense as mm-hmm. opposed to, yeah, I adopted my little brother. Yeah, that sounds kind of strange, but it gives you some idea mm-hmm. that, that really those aren't prohibitive, just the circumstances mm-hmm. of the people per se. They have to meet those core qualifications. They have to be able to pass a social study. They have to live with the child for six months. They have to pass a criminal background check. Mm-hmm. Short of that, though, they're, they can be a parent. Okay, that's good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the um, so uh, adoptions by state vary, but we're talking about Texas only. Yeah, we've been okay. we've been focusing on Texas law. Um, Again, I, I want to say that most other states have very similar mm-hmm. procedures in place for adoption. Um, now, there might be states that make it a little bit easier to adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many states allow this combination case where we have termination and then adoption. Um, that's an important thing. And again, it it's kind of a money saver. I mean, we should probably discuss this a little bit so that people understand. Adoptions are far from cheap, mm-hmm. okay? There's money to be spent when you want to do adoptions. A basic adoption, just an agreed adoption, you're going to pay your own attorney. You're going to pay this amicus attorney. You're going to pay for a criminal background check. You're going to pay for this social study fee. You're going to pay a filing fee with the court. All of this can turn into thousands of dollars, okay? If the adoption is even remotely complicated and the attorneys are charging by the hour, you can get well into tens of thousands of dollars on an adoption case. Now, again, is it worth it? I have to think that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some people might say, no, it's too rich for my blood. Um, adoption is a legal thing. It's not necessarily a moral thing. So I've had to give people speeches before about if adoption isn't right for you, that doesn't change the parent-child relationship that you can have with a minor child. Again, the minor child doesn't know that, depending on their age, they don't know that they've been adopted or they haven't been adopted, right? They know that they have somebody who loves them. And that's the most important thing to me is that there's a good de facto parent-child relationship. But if adoption is something that mm-hmm. people are interested in, you should at least explore that. You should at least call an attorney, find out what your circumstances are, what the price tag looks like, what the cost benefits are. In that process. I was going to say reach out and ask questions. That's exactly yeah. right. Well, Ernie, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I learned a lot. Um, thank you for listening to Planning for Win Financial Guidance in Life. You can join us next month, the last Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m., Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure, Kevin. Thank you, Ernie. 
Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing.